Welcome to the Canaan Bound Podcast, episode number 41. My name is Philip Wells, and it is my privilege to be your host for this episode. To begin today, we join Pastor Timothy Smith with God's Word for You. God's Word for You, Job 12, verses 13 to 25. We'll start with 13 to 16. To God belong wisdom and power. Counsel and understanding are his. What he tears down cannot be rebuilt. The man he imprisons cannot be released. If he holds back the waters, there is drought. If he lets them loose, they devastate the land. To him belong strength and victory. Both deceived and deceiver are his. These final verses of chapter 12 show us that God is the only one who is truly in control, whether mankind chooses to believe it or not. God has the wisdom and the power to create and encourage, but he can also destroy and humiliate when it's necessary. God makes mankind's wisdom foolish, Paul told the Corinthians. But before we look about at what Job says about his treatment of men and women, let's notice that there is another hint here of the approach of the coming storm. The drought here is quite probably what Job and his friends had been experiencing and might even be the device that God used to permit the attacks of the Chaldeans and the others who stole Job's property in the first chapter. The waters let loose will be the storm from which God will speak at the end of the book. Now in verse 16, we encounter the technical term victory. In Hebrew, that's tushiyah. In Proverbs 8.14, that same word means sound judgment. But in some contexts, the result of sound judgment are meant, which implies some kind of victory or success. And this is the case in, well, Proverbs 2.7 and Job 5.12. And here, Job's claim that both deceived and deceiver are his does not mean that God holds good people and wicked people in his hand like playing cards, using them whenever he needs one according to his whims. Job means that whether we are good or wicked in the end, We belong to the Lord, and we answer to him. Verses 17 to, let's go down to 21. He leads counselors away stripped and makes fools of judges. He takes off the shackles put on by kings and ties a loincloth around their waist. He leads priests away stripped and overthrows men long established. He silences the lips of trusted advisors and takes away the discernment of elders. He pours out contempt on nobles and disarms the mighty. Job is coming very close to answering his own question about why he is suffering, isn't he? His friends, especially Eliphaz, have praised God as always giving righteous people a a happy ending. We saw that in 5.18. But Job makes us look at the world and see the truth, that good people sometimes finish their lives in despair or poverty. Whole kingdoms and nations can be overthrown. Why does it happen? Well, because there is sin in the world. Why are the poor oppressed? Because their oppressors are sinful. Because officials and even their own family members are sinful. Sin makes us pick on each other and take advantage of each other and bully each other. Sin makes us hide and turn away when we should rise up and help each other. Even Christians fall into these sins. There's no denying that. Nations destroy other nations out of fear or revenge or greed. If Job would carry this thought a little further, he might come to the conclusion that he is suffering 
because Satan has brought sin into the world. And Job could lay his troubles on the devil's account and call to God for relief. The devil's punishment for the pain, for the pain he has already brought to the world, including you, will be eternal for him, and it will be excruciating. Let's look at verse 22. He reveals the deep things of darkness and brings deep shadows into light. Now, Job is talking here about secrets, whether discoveries in science waiting to be made or truths yet to be uncovered. He even uses the term deep shadows. That's the word salmavet. That occurs about 12 times in the Bible. Half of these are in Job, but the most famous one is probably in the 23rd Psalm, where the NIV translates it as the shadow of death although darkest valley is probably more accurate there. Even what has been hidden away by death will be uncovered on the last day. All of us will stand before God in the judgment, and we who have put our trust in Jesus will be taken to heaven to the places prepared for us there by Jesus. That's his promise in John 14 uh, in the first six verses. Let's look at verse 23. He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and disperses them. Lamentations 1 picks up the same theme. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. The prophet recognized that Israel's captivity was brought on by the Lord as a punishment for Israel's idolatry and as a call to repentance. And the same thing here. Job recognizes that whatever happens to us is permitted by the Lord, whether those things come directly from his hand or not. For Job, the difficulties came because the Lord permitted the devil to strike Job's life and body. But the Lord permitted those things for his own reasons. What does Psalm 115 say? Uh, The Lord is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. God's purpose was to reveal his glory by giving Job the chance to remain in his faith despite tragedy and persecution. Verses 24 and 25. He deprives the leaders of the earth of their reason. He sends them wandering through a trackless waste. They grope in darkness with no light. He makes them stagger like drunkards. In this closing poem of the chapter, Job throws a jab at his friends, these leaders of the earth who have come to comfort him. Eliphaz and his appeal to common sense is wandering like a caravan lost in the desert. Bildad had called on the enlightenment of tradition, but its light was sealed off from his heart, and he is groping in the darkness. Zophar's attacks are no better than the ravings of a drunken man staggering around like a a listing galleon out in the open sea with a single sail set and three sheets to the wind. They make no progress or sense at all. After a hint of God's approach, our author has revealed that Job's mind, at least, is approaching the truth, but Job's friends have done nothing but circle around his pain and pick at him, deepening his anxiety and his distress. They're like wolves that are snarling around a wounded man. When we find no relief from our pain and trouble, we look to God in faith and realize that this might be a time we can do nothing but praise him despite our pain and give glory to him in our suffering. 
For it is commendable if a man, this is Peter who says, it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. When bad days come, we can pray with Psalm 119, my comfort is in my suffering, or my comfort in my suffering is this, your promise, O Lord, preserves my life. And when the pain is at its worst, We can still pray as forgiven children of God. This is later in that same psalm. Look upon my suffering and deliver me, for I have not forgotten your law. Defend my cause and redeem me. Preserve my life according to your promise. We have a Savior from our sins and a Redeemer who loves us. He will not desert us or forget us. And in the end, he will raise us up to eternal life. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's Word for you. Next up, we have a recording by Joshua Bushkoff, titled Stones. Joshua is a member of a Welsh congregation in New London, Wisconsin. Rome wasn't built in a day. She lingered for years in her glory. Lost in a long, slow decay Leaving only the stones and the story Gone are the senators and Caesars Gone are the glories of the past There's only stones to tell How an empire fell Gone with the wind in the grass The pyramids are proud to behold Where are the rulers who built them? Glorious tombs are still tombs And finally the pharaohs all filled them Gone are the royal priests and princes Gone are the glories of their land Only stones to tell How a kingdom fell Lost in the sun and the sand But see the stone The Lord has laid A chosen one in Zion Though all the world is crumbling down His holy house is rising Oh sing all you saints of the Lord witness the builder who 
started this work We'll call us all forth at the finish Gone will be our tears and troubles Gone for these things too shall pass Stone has prepared our home Built on the rock that will last Next up, we join Pastor Aaron Nitz for Moments with the Master. Hello. God's word for our consideration today is from Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, and it reads, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So what's your secret to living day after day? How do you continue to have a hopeful approach to life? Why can you look at death as not a total loss, but a gain? In this text, the Apostle Paul was in house arrest in Rome for sharing the gospel. He was about to stand on trial and wasn't entirely sure if he'd be released or put to death. But either way, he has he was still joyful. Why? Because he knew Jesus. Well, what about you? What about me? Do our lives seem unbearable sometimes? Do we view death as the loss of everything, the thing to be avoided at all costs? Knowing Jesus changes everything. It did for the Apostle Paul, and it does for you. You know Jesus. God's Son who came into this world to live for wretched, miserable sinners like you and me. Jesus who died innocently on the cross to buy us back from our sins. Jesus who by his death and resurrection flung heaven's doors wide open for you and me. Knowing Jesus gives you and me joy in life and in death. Life is my opportunity to serve him, to exalt his name. Death, whenever God should determine it, is gain. Release from temptation, release from trials, release from troubles, and in eternity to be with Jesus, enjoying eternal riches and joys. Yes, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain, just like you. God's blessings on your day. And now it's time for Freedom in Christ with Pastor Mark Falk. Galatians 2, 18-21 We do not set aside grace for law. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. If I do not set aside the grace of God... I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through their law, Christ died for nothing. Law-abiding citizens, what a great blessing, a civil blessing. The world of law and order must operate on principles of law. Sometimes prosecutors, judges, and juries show a form of judicial mercy. They choose not to prosecute. They cite extenuating circumstances. But in general... Order is kept in this world of sinners when sinners fear the gumball on top of the police car. 
Most of us drivers know that the stated speed limit may be 55, but the de facto enforced speed limit is much more like 60. Around big cities, at rush hour or flowing traffic, the real speed limit seems to go much higher. See how law works? It needs threats to keep our sinful nature coloring within the lines. There is a use to this. A peaceful community is a wonderful thing. An oppressive government is better than no government at all. But, in the realm of salvation, law must, in a sense, be set aside. Once law has terrified our conscience with the very threat of hell to all who sin, even to those Boy Scouts who help old ladies across the street, but have sinful hearts, like all of us. Once law has done this, and the sinner lives in fear of a God who is rightly angry with, angry with sin and with all who commit it, then grace must rule. All law must be set aside. We are not forgiven because of our tears, because of our acts of restitution, because we promise to make things right. That comes later. That is the fruit of a heart first scared out of its pants at the prospect of facing a holy God. Paul was determined not to rebuild law as a path to heaven. It had not worked for him or his Jewish brethren. Sin always remained. Holiness was never obtained. We must very carefully divide law and gospel. To the self-confident, the Pharisee in the front of the temple, law is the only message. To the fearful sinner, the tax collector beating his breast way back there in the rear of the temple, the only message is Christ. There is no hint of what we must do to be saved, as the jailer in Philippi and many others naturally ask. There is only what Christ has already done. The law must continually terrify my old nature. But my new man of faith, faith created by the Holy Spirit through the message of Christ, needs the bread and water of life. A nice Jewish gentleman told me one day, You Christians, you just get forgiveness and salvation. For us Jews, it is a process. Indeed, this is not just the Jewish, this is the natural way to heaven of every religion and every heart that does not join in Paul's joyful faith in Christ. Even Paul's urgent preaching of the gospel and willingness to suffer and die with Christ are not moved by law. He says, The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We can get people to do things in the church, in school, in the world, with the threat of punishment. Or more likely, we can get them not to do what their sinful hearts desire. But the really good stuff in the Christian life is still the stuff moved by the love of Christ. Let each of us continue to learn to rightly divide law and gospel in our own hearts, with our own dear children, in our relationship with fellow sinner saints, and also with those who still live only by law. We are truly free from the threats of the law of God. Those threats rain down in full force on Jesus, on that ugly tree of Calvary. Look to Christ, 
always look to Christ. Then you will be more willing and more able, more and more, to live for Him, like Paul. We do not set aside grace, Christ for law. We end today with a song by Stephen Bautista, Leave It at the Cross, from his album, A Childlike Faith. You have been listening to episode 41 of the Canaan Bound Podcast. This episode was first shared in September of 2013. Visit CanaanBoundPodcast.com 
for more information on how to support the Ministry of the Wells and of the artists featured in this podcast. Once again, my name is Philip Wells, and it was a privilege to be your host for this episode. We encourage you to visit wells.net to find a Wells ministry location near you. Thank you for listening, and may God bless your week.